Amen. I am glad we serve a risen Savior. And He is wonderful. Let's go ahead and grab our Bibles. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. I know, I know it is the first Sunday after Thanksgiving. So immediately I must start preaching on Christmas. I am not, all right? Uh, I'll give you one verse this morning for Christmas, and we'll, I'll reference it, and that'll be about it, all right? Uh, so next week, Brother Malucci will preach in the morning. I'll do something on Christmas in December. But uh, this morning, uh, many of you know what is happening in the book of Revelation, right? At the beginning of the book, John is, uh, of course, on the Isle of Patmos, exiled for his testimony of Jesus Christ. And uh, the Lord goes ahead and in the Spirit shows him some things. And in chapters 1, uh, the end of chapter 1, he starts. And into chapter 2, you find out that he's going to talk to the churches. And chapter 2 and chapter 3 give you the churches. And if you look them over, and I won't get into it now, but uh, you can feel free to ask later or ask Pastor Legault later or Talk to Pastor Thomas back there, and somebody will give you the answer. But ultimately, it's, uh, it's showing the periods of time and the progression of time as part of that uh, future showing of these churches. And you get uh, here to the end of chapter 3 and verse number 14, and you have the church of the Laodiceans. And the church of the Laodiceans is the last church before ultimately you get to the end of the chapter and chapter 4 starts and come up hither happens and the Apostle John is pulled off of the planet and uh, shown things and ultimately shown the third heaven and the church doesn't show up the rest of the time and I can get into all that too but we won't this morning. But we'll look at this message in this, this place is particular is to the church of the Laodiceans. And this is the time period where you and I are currently living in. Now, I am a huge proponent of the fact that you do not have to be what the age dictates you to be. You can be greater, you can be better, you can do something entirely different. It is not a predestination moment where if uh, you're part of the Laodicean church age that you have to live like the Laodicean church. And I find in the passage something very particular, and I'm not going to preach on the whole passage. I've, I've done that before. Pastor Legault's done that before uh, quite often. I want to see some things here, and uh, we'll read the whole message to the church, but I want to choose out just number verse 18 uh, overall as we go. But verse 14 starts the message. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou art cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. 
To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I, have over, I also overcame, and have sat down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So the Lord shows up, and the condition of the church is pretty evident. I know thy works, and uh, we can talk about being cold or hot, and I preached on that, and we understand some of those things. And then he says this, that we're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. If that doesn't describe us, I have no idea what else will. All right, uh, rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And you can look around at the economy right now and you can be like, oh man, we're all feeling it. It's all terrible. It's all awful. Look, you're still amongst the most wealthy people in the world just by being an American. That's just all there is to it. Uh, go ahead and look at our poor poor poverty line numbers versus poverty lines in any other nation in the world. We virtually destroy all of them. The lines of poverty here are completely different. You, the poverty line in our country versus what most of the world enjoys as comfortable, your poverty line is skyrocketed over the top of them uh, by the wealthiest in other countries at times. And so rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing is a pretty good descriptor of who we are. And that causes these things to start happening. The things that start happening is that they, we don't know that we're wretched and poor and miserable and blind and naked. <laughs> there's, there's a disconnect that suddenly happens. That because we have physical wealth and because we have physical things in our lives and because we have the outward blessings, quote unquote, of God, that means that we're perfectly okay. And God goes, but you're not. <laughs> you're not okay. You're not great. You're not perfectly fine. You realize that there are plenty of lost people in the world that are doing perfectly fine. They've got money and they've got things and they've got their stuff. And ultimately, if, if anybody were to look at them, they would say, they're living a good life. They look all right. They, they, they're not hurting for food. They're not begging on the street. They seem like they're good to go. Everything seems fine, but you and I would look at a lost man without Jesus Christ as their Savior and never called upon him, never asked him to save him, never has had their sins forgiven forever. You know what we would say to them? They're not fine. We go, spiritually, they're in trouble because the Bible makes it very plain that Jesus Christ is the only means of salvation. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. The Bible makes it very plain that you and I cannot get to heaven by our good works. We can't get to heaven by our own riches. Silver and gold hath not obtained our redemption. We weren't redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from our vain conversation, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot, without blemish. It is the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, that cleanseth us from all sin. It is the one means of salvation that anybody could ever find. The Bible says in Acts, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Salvation is by Jesus Christ alone. There is nothing else we can do. There's no church, no religion, no greatness of our own that we could possibly do. There's no water baptism that has ever washed away anybody's sins. Never has. Doesn't take away sins. The blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that cleanses from sins. 
So how do I get that? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's just that simple. You say, well, it can't be that simple. Why would God make salvation complicated? He's trying to give it to you as a free gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're about to get to Christmas. People give gifts. The only things you need to know about gifts are, number one, somebody had to pay for it. But it was never the recipient that pays for their gift. And Jesus Christ paid the gift. The price of eternal life was the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, He paid the debt of our sins. It needs to be offered to somebody else. Well, He offered it to you. Whosoever will, let him come take a drink of the water of life freely. You want it, you can have it. It's open to the whole world. He died not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And then it must be just received. You didn't do anything to get a Christmas gift. You didn't do anything to get a birthday gift, Isabel. You didn't do anything. They're going to give you gifts. You didn't do anything to get them. What did you do? I was born. You didn't do any of that work. Uh. Say, what do we get? You get a free gift. It's offered. You say, what does it take? Receiving it. How do, I, how do I receive the gift of, the, of, of salvation? How do I receive the gift of my sins forgiven? How do I receive the gift of eternal life? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust Him. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You believe He died for you. You trust that He, he can save you. And you call upon Him because He's risen from the dead. And you can trust that He's okay. And He's perfectly able to save to the uttermost, all them that will trust in Him. That's salvation. That puts you as part of the church. And here in Revelation chapter 3, He's preaching to the church of our day. Without that first piece, without salvation, you're not part of the rest of this. <laughs> None of the rest of this does any good if you don't have Jesus as your Savior. And God right here makes a wonderful statement. Verse number 14, who's talking in verse 14? Who is that? That's Jesus Christ. That's God is talking, right? He's telling the angel, unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, right? These things saith the amen. <laughs> He's referencing himself. Hey, you let them know that God's about to speak to them. Now, I never really thought about this phrase before this. This week I'd read through this. And verse number 18, I, well, that'd be God. I counsel thee. Now, you think about counsel. Someone trying to give you some advice. Who's better counselor than God? <laughs> right? Here's your one Christmas verse. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 16. Right? He shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. There he is. We're going to hear it over and over and over again around Christmas time. One of his titles is Counselor. He is the Counselor, if you'd be willing to listen to him. What's amazing about Counsel is that not everybody ever listens to the Counsel that they get. 
you have a choice to do with the counsel what you want to do. I can counsel you about salvation and tell you you need salvation like I just did a moment ago. But you don't have to take it. You can choose to go against God and go against the Word of God. He says in Psalm chapter 33 and verse 11, The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of His heart to all generations. You know, God has never given bad counsel. His counsel is always spot on. And it stands forever. It's always the right answer. They sang about that blessed old book, the Bible. Say, so what is that? That's the counsel of God. Psalm 73, he says this, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by, thy, by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. <laughs> Whom have I in heaven but thee, and there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's the life of a Christian right there. You're going to hold me by my right hand. Uriah, you know, walking across the parking lot. That's what he, Hand? He knows. Don't, don't walk out there. It's dangerous. You got to go ahead and take my hand, right? That's what we do with all of our kids. Take my hand. And the Lord says, I'll take you by the hand and I'll guide you through that troubled time through all those problems through that rough parking lot where people drive around and they're not paying attention and they're not I'll keep you safe when nobody else can keep you safe how about that he said I'll take you by the hand and you know what I'll do I'll guide thee I'll guide thee with my counsel and afterward you come up and dwell with me that's the life of a Christian Life of a Christian is one where God takes them by the hand and guides them through this life. And once they get to the other side, he just pulls them up the rest of the way. And says, ah, oh, you just come up here with me for a while. We'll walk face to face. But like I said, the problem is people don't always listen to counsel. First Kings chapter 12, you've got Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, uh, of course, outside of Jesus Christ. And so here's Solomon, and Solomon's been endowed with wisdom, and he's got his old counselors, his men that he has trusted through his reign. And his son Rehoboam, after he has passed on, Rehoboam takes the throne, and what does he do? He seeks out counsel for what he ought to do. And he does the right thing. He's seeking out counsel. Good, good idea, right? And he goes, and he goes right to the old men. And he says, what should I do? And they say, oh, be merciful and be lenient and go ahead and do these things and those people will follow you forever. And then he turns and he goes to his peers, he goes to his friends and he says, hey, what should I do? And they say, don't, don't be merciful, go ahead, strike them down, man. Go show you're the king, you're the king, go ahead. And, and he loses half, over half the kingdom. Loses, loses 10 tribes out of 12. Loses it, why? Because he took bad counsel. He chooses to do the wrong thing. You know, that's why he warns you in Psalm chapter 1 and verse 1 to not, not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. The Lord reaches down, right? He takes you by the hand. He's trying to guide you with godly, good counsel. And then what do we do? We get some ungodly counsel and we go the wrong direction. Don't walk that direction. Pull you away from God. He says in Psalm 107, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. For He satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, 
being bound in affliction and iron because they rebelled against the words of God and condemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to uh, none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and break their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. You know, before we got saved, you know what we did? We decided to walk and go against the commandments of God. We decided to walk away from them. We decided to rebel against them. We decided to go against his counsel. And then when we decided we need his help, he goes ahead and pulls us back out of those chains of darkness and iron, the bound, the bound of our sins, the binding of what we had and the chains and the things of darkness that we were under. And he goes ahead and pulls us out. But the truth is that the Christian, after he gets saved, now can decide whether he's going to walk in the counsel of God or he's not. And the Laodicean church here, we find that the church at Laodicea decides whether they're going to walk in God's counsel. They haven't been walking in God's counsel. We see that early, right? They're not living the way they were supposed to be living. They're not doing the right things. They're getting cold. They're getting, and they don't even realize any of it. And he says, hey, I counsel thee to buy of me. God's got some counsel for some folks who are nowhere near him right here. God's got some counsel for a church so that they don't end up like a Laodicean church. And it's going to be solid, good advice. You realize that you were hearing about Saul and David a little bit this morning in Sunday school. If you were here. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, Saul... Well, let me back up. First Samuel chapter 13, Saul's the king, and he's waiting. He's waiting. He's supposed to be waiting for Samuel to show up and make the offering for him before they go to battle with the Philistines. But he gets impatient. He doesn't wait. You heard about some patience this morning, too, in Sunday school. But anyways, uh, Saul doesn't want to wait, so what does he do? Well, he makes his own sacrifice, and Samuel shows up. And he's going, Saul, what, what are you doing? That's not your job. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. And verse number 13 of that same chapter, 13, 13, he says, because you've done this and you haven't heeded the Lord's commandment, he goes, the kingdom's not going to continue from you. He's going to give it to another. That's the first proclamation that Saul gets that his kingdom's not going to last forever. Say, so why didn't it? Because he chose to disobey God. He didn't wait for God to, to, to deal with things the way he, he wanted to. Instead, he gets impatient. Samuel, 1 Samuel 14, the very next chapter, you have Jonathan, right? He goes and him and his armor bearer take, take out that crowd and they get this amazing victory through the Lord and he had the honey and everybody's supposed to kill him because he ate honey and he wasn't supposed to and all these other weird things are happening. And then uh, the question comes up near the end of the chapter, Saul inquires of the Lord. He seeks counsel from the Lord. And his statement about seeking counsel is, hey, are we supposed to go follow the Philistines tonight and finish them off? You know what's really scary? 
God doesn't answer him. God's statement is, I'm done giving you counsel because you won't listen. I'm not giving it anymore. Christian, I hope you're not there. I hope you're not in the spot where God can't even talk to you anymore because you're just, I'm doing my own thing. And that, why? That's a scary thing to think that God would turn off and just go, nope, I'm not talking anymore. I gave you enough. He did it with Pilate. I gave you enough light. I gave you enough direction. You won't do what I told you to do. Now, I'm just going to sit back and watch it all fall apart around you. And that's exactly what happened to Saul. All falls apart around him. So I'd encourage you this morning, God's got a message of good counsel. And in Revelation chapter 3, we're going to look at what he's counseling us to buy. And verse number 18 is where we'll pick it up. Let's have a word of prayer before we do. Let's see what God's counsel is to His church. Father, I do pray You would bless the Word of God as it's preached. I thank You so much for the ability, Lord, to have a Bible, the ability to read a Bible. Father, I pray that people avail themselves of the wonderful gift of eternal life, but they'd also go ahead and take the gift of a Bible and not just set it aside, but be able to open it and read it and cherish it to get the counsel of God and be able to speak to them in their lives. Lord, I do pray you would do that for us today, that you'd open up our eyes, you'd lighten our eyes to be able to see what you want us to see today and to be able to do what you want us to do. And I pray you'd give us the boldness to do it. Lord, once again, we pray that Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up. I don't know if anybody here is lost, but Father, you do. And Father, if they need a Savior, I pray they'd call upon a Savior today. Lord, they're not going to find another one, and they're certainly not going to find a better one than Jesus Christ Himself. So I pray they would call upon Him today. Lord, help your church today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First thing he says here in verse number 18 is, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. Now oftentimes we, we liken gold to the glory of God. That's there, and right? We could go over to, uh, to Corinthians and we could look at the judgment seat of Christ and gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, and it does go through a fire. Uh, but I don't think that's necessarily what he's referencing here. I think he's referencing, look over at 1 Peter. Look back just a few books to your left to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. He looks to the church, you know what he says, the church of the Laodiceans. He says, hey, uh, you're already rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. That's what you think. And you think you don't need anything. You don't, you don't think you need anything including God. And he says here in 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse number 3, Blessed be the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, 3. Which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if needed, need be, ye are in heaven, heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, 
in whom though now you, you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. You say, what do you think that gold is? Hey, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. Well, the contrast is that they're not rich, right? They're poor. Because they feel that they're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. They have no faith in God. Their bank account's full. They got a steady job. They got all these things taken care of. It doesn't take faith anymore. The Bible makes it really plain that you and I are pretty simple people. And if we have the simplest of things taken care of, you and I do not act in faith very well. It is replete that you and I, if we got anything to grab onto, we'll grab onto that way before we grab onto faith. <laughs> because we're really good at sight. We're not really good at going, okay, God's going to take care of that whether I see it or not. And we're really good at saying, don't worry, God, I've got it all under control. Because I see what I should do, so I'm just going to do what I know is right, and I don't even have to consult you. Well, that's a scary spot. The scary spot is, I already know what I should do, I don't even have to ask him. Now, there's simple things you already have, right? There's certain things, right? Sin is bad, right? We don't have to be like, God, should I sin? Right? That's not something we're talking about. I mean, we're making day-to-day decisions on God's provisions in our life. And you know what we don't do? We don't ask Him anything. How much do you stop in your day and go, God, which way do I go on that? Well, yeah, but that's just simple and apparent. It might be. But isn't that the way a lost man lives? The lost man goes to a situation and logically decides whether he's going to go left or right. The Christian comes up to the situation, you know what they think? Well, I got enough money in the bank and I got this and logically, yeah, let's do that. That's lost man's thinking. That's a lost man's mentality. You still think like a lost man. You know what you are? You're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, so you don't ask him. You don't take any time at all to go, God, what do you want me to do instead? God, is there a better option that doesn't make any sense to me, but you work with all the things that don't make sense, so what would you want me to do? We stay our course as though we're supposed to be doing the right thing. And probably 75% of our choices, they may be the right thing. But the problem is, you didn't get any clarification on whether it was or not. It's still the wisdom of men. And we find in Corinthians that the wisdom of men is foolishness with God. We go, that's a great plan. I know, because I built it. Must be wonderful. But you and I both know our plans are pretty bad often. But we're so used to just operating, just doing. Hey, this looks like a good idea. Let's do that. Hey, this is a better idea. Let's do that. Hey, this is a wonderful idea. We should do that. Hey, this is just, it's such a good idea. Why stop and ask? It's so much better if I just do what I want to do and then have God bless it after I've made my choice. Isn't that the theory? The theory is it's better, it's, it's easier to ask forgiveness than it is to ask permission. Well, God, if I did it wrong, that's okay. I'll just bounce off the wall. You'll forgive me, and we'll try again. And families do that. 
and it costs the kids. Because the kids watch you ricochet around like a ball in a, one of those little pinball machines. Thank you, sir. And you're bouncing off all those bumpers and it's shooting you all over the place. And you go, well, you know, I'm just waiting for God to lead me. No, you're not. You never asked. He reached down to take your hand so that he could guide you and you didn't reach up. You just went ahead and kept walking. If your little kid did that in a parking lot, you'd be yelling. And then you wonder why God's yelling at you. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. And the manifold temptations are there. Right, Peter? He's going, you've got manifold temptations. You know what's strange to me? What's strange to me is manifold just means there's many different ones right in front of you, right? There's a whole bunch of them. And most people go, that must be sin. That's not what it said. Temptation isn't always sin. You realize that Jesus Christ tempted in the wilderness? All three of those are things he's going to do. They're not sinful things. It is simply the timing that is completely sinful. It's that the devil asked him to do it instead of God. It's so simple to see. We go, well, it's not a bad thing. God doesn't, you don't have to be tempted with bad things. You can be tempted with good things at the wrong time. Well, it looks good to me. Okay, but maybe God didn't want you to do that step yet. And if you check with him, you've got something out of order in your steps. And the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he organizes them and sets them up so that you won't fall. But we're so busy not living by faith because we've got everything under control. We live in a society today where just everything's under control. We don't feel like anything's out of control, really. I mean, I still got money. My car's still running. We're still doing fine. Everything's paid for. Still have groceries. And if not, we'll just go shoot a deer this week. Put meat in the freezer. We're good to go. What more do I need? Well, you need Jesus Christ looking down at you saying, without me, you can do nothing. And we've forgotten him. I think the true travesty of the church here in Laodicea is they've just forgotten him. He doesn't, he doesn't have any play in any day-to-day thing that they do. You say, yeah, but I'm here. I know. Me too. And you know what I recognize? How often I think I just know. I grew up in church and I know what I'm supposed to do and I have all these things and I got all the, you know, I went to classes and I learned all this stuff about the Bible and we got everything and all of our doctrine is so good and so solid and so right. But we don't ask him. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Because we're too busy, ready to go with the answer. We have the answer before we even got to the question. The question starts and we go, don't worry, I got it. You know those people, right? Not going to name names. And you're a know-it-all with God. Because you just, well, you say, what's the problem? Your faith is never tested. You've never stepped out on faith. You stay comfortable right where you are. And the trial of your faith is the thing that is much more precious than of gold. 
and we never test it. We're so increased with goods. I heard this, I heard this years ago at a youth, at, at, I think it was at Youth of Blaze, if I'm remembering correctly, and it has bothered me ever since. And it pops back around every once in a while just for me. And so I'm going to annoy you all with it. All right. I think it was Brother Tony Shirley was preaching. And he said this phrase. He said, when's the last time you tried something for the first time for God? When's the last time you did something for the first time for God? You can think back, you remember the first time you, you witnessed to somebody and the first time you knocked on a door and the first time you went out of the street corner and the first time you stood up and sang in church and the first time you did a special and the first time you did. When did you try something? When's the last time you tried something new? Say, well, there's nothing new to do. Uh-huh. That's your problem. Lord, if I could do something new, what could it be? Maybe a missions trip. Oh, I don't know if I could do that. There it is. A missions trip. Well, you know, I just, I don't know if I could dedicate a Saturday a month just to go fix something at the church. I don't know if I could really dedicate once a month maybe to, to go and, and visit some ladies in the church and just take a meal to a family, find out, ask, ask around and see who's hurting this month, need some help. I'd be willing to go ahead and take them a meal. Oh, we can't afford to cook somebody else a meal. Okay, could you trust if God told you to do that, you could do it? Lord, what would you have me to do? Hey, you know what I could do? I don't like talking to people on the phone. I don't like doing any of that stuff. I'm not a people person. Okay, well, could you call somebody once a week and just find somebody who wasn't in church on Sunday and just give them a call and say, hey, I miss your church. Are you okay? I'm just checking. Well, I don't like talking to people. Okay. When was the last time you did something for the first time? Maybe have just a little bit of faith that God could tell you to do something different than what you do. But we're Laodicea. So why try? Because you have the counsel of God telling you, hey, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. You know what that tells me? You and I do not have to be poor. When it comes to the things of God, you and I can be rich. He wouldn't give you counsel you can't have. Instead, he gives you counsel to do what? To get some gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. He says, hey, I can go ahead. You can trust me over and over and over again. In a world where it doesn't look like you need to trust anything at all. We don't live in uncertain times for us. I mean, we can go, oh, well, the, the election is going to be uncertain and we don't know what's going to happen with the economy and we don't know. Yeah, but you're not living that bad. <laughs> you're really not. We're not living that bad. <laughs> so how do you know? You're all dressed pretty nice today. You're all looking fine like you took a shower today. You're all looking like, you know, you're, we're not hurting. We may not have everything we want, but we certainly have more than we need. Then how do I get it? You have to trust that God's got it. Quit looking and trusting in all your material things and go ahead and look and trust in Him. 
We struggle with that. The church at Laodicea struggles with that. Look back at Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 3. He counsels thee to buy of me gold, tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. Verse number 18. And white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Well, we find out in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 8 that white raiment is the righteousness of the saints. Now here is an oddity for me. And I've mentioned this before. I don't do anything bad is not the same as I am righteous. Christians confuse those things all the time. Lost people confuse those things all the time. I haven't done anything wrong. That's not what righteousness is. You see, Jesus Christ, I'm going to give the example of Jesus Christ because I can't think of anybody more righteous. Kind of the best guy to choose, right? It's like, oh, who is the best person I can think of? Jesus. All right. Um, so you got Jesus, and he shows up, right? He shows up to the baptism of John. And John's baptizing people in the Jordan River. And he's baptizing the nation of Israel, and it's a national baptism to prepare them for Jesus Christ stepping onto the scene. The Messiah is about to show up. Get ready. Get your hearts right. Get your minds turned toward the fact that the Messiah is coming, and he's calling them all down, and he's bringing them in. And Jesus shows up. John makes one of the greatest, most accurate statements ever, right? I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? <laughs> he goes, I don't, I'm not baptizing you. You're the Messiah. You don't need a baptism. What, what does Jesus Christ need to be baptized for? Nothing, except for one thing. He says, suffer it to be so for righteousness sake. Jesus Christ came as a man in the flesh to give his life a ransom for many, yes. But he also came to do a couple of things. One is to fulfill all righteousness. And as an Israelite, as a Jew, he needed to go ahead and follow whatever command was given to the nation of Israel. And the command of that day was for John to go see John and go get baptized in the Jordan River with him. Say, so why did he do it? Well, if he doesn't do it, is he, I mean, it's not bad. He didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, but he didn't do the thing right. He didn't do the right thing. You know what I find? A lot of Christians, they're good at not doing what they're not supposed to do. They are. I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't cuss and I don't. And down the list they go and I don't do all these things. And I'm, we have a really good time telling everybody what we don't do. To prove how clean and wonderful we are. And it's good. You ought to have things that you just don't do. That's part of what we do, right? We don't do those things. Good plan. Separation. Having some standards. I don't do these things. The problem that I find is I don't do these things is normally where those lists end. And they never know what they're supposed to do.
And instead of actively finding the right thing to do, they just stay neutral on everything. The Christian today, their answer is, well, I don't want to respond because I don't want to offend anybody. We live in a day right now where everything has to be perfectly politically correct. And if you aren't, you're canceled, you're destroyed. They try to tear you apart. They try to make it so that nobody ever wants to hear you. They try to silence you. They try to whatever else. And so the Christian goes, well, I better just stay neutral. I don't want to upset anybody. The Christian's job is not neutral. You and I are not a neutral force in the world. We're supposed to be an active, righteous force in the world. We're supposed to actively move forward and do right. Make the right choice. Do the right things. Instead, we abstain from everything. I just, well, you know, I don't want to... Okay, well, let me put it this way. If... Fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And you and I are supposed to be clothed when we stand in front of him. If you aren't doing righteous things, he still doesn't have anything to work with. That the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. You're giving him nothing to work with. Abstaining doesn't give you any more, but it doesn't give you any less. But it certainly doesn't help your case. Instead, you're just left standing there. You know what? You'll be standing naked still. Well, I mean, how do I got to... You got to do right in the face of a world who doesn't like righteousness. I think this is a far harder task to do than to go ahead and try and have faith that God can provide. It's doing right when everybody else is doing the wrong thing, including the church. The overall arcing picture to the church of the Laodiceans is that everybody's rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art poor and miserable and blind and naked. (laughs) The overall arc is nobody's living right. They may not be living wrong, but they're certainly not living right. They're not cold or hot, they're just sitting there in the middle. They're just running along like this. the engine's on idle, it's in neutral. Let's see if we can coast through this life and hope nobody notices we were ever here. And get me into glory and be done with this. Could you imagine never actively doing the right thing when everybody else does the wrong Say, yeah, but that that draws attention to me. I don't really like attention. Okay, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. A city that's sat on a hill cannot be hidden. Your job is not to be hidden. Even in a world that doesn't like you, it's not supposed to be hidden. You're still in a place where if you're going to earn white raiment... You're going to have to be the one who's different and be righteous in a very unrighteous world and in a very apathetic church. You say, are you talking about our church? No, I'm not talking about our church. I'm talking about the church as a whole. People who don't care. We stand out. 
Emmanuel stands out. You say, Brother James, Brother James is off preaching in another church today. His wife, his kids, they didn't go with him. They didn't have a place to even put you, I don't believe. <laughs> there was no real nursery for her to take the kids to. There wasn't anything. So what's the anomaly here? We have so many kids in the nursery, we don't know what to do. We're running out of room in the nurseries that were built, and they're huge compared to everybody else's. And we got two of them. <laughs> so what is that? That's an anomaly. That's not normal. Not for a church that preaches the Bible. Not for a church that sings the old hymns. Not for a church that's trying to... There's plenty of compromisers who are trying to get all that stuff. And the Lord's blessing, and the Lord's blessing. You say, why? I think it's because people want to do right. I think it's because people want to walk by faith. I think it's because people want to have the blessings of God. And I think sometimes we just miss them by just a little bit because we decide we're going to just choose to do it our way instead of His. Last thing he says here, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Oof. Reminds me of John chapter 9, right? The blind man that shows up and he's sitting there at the gate and Jesus is walking by and the disciples and they ask him the question, right? Was this man born blind because of his sin or because of his parents' sin? Or, you know what? Who, who sinned, right? Who's, and he says, nobody sinned. It's for the glory of God. And he reaches down and he spits in the dirt, right? And he makes, makes some mud and he anoints his eyes. That's what it says. It says he anointed his eyes. And he says, go wash. The man goes and washes, and all of a sudden he can see. And he comes back, and everybody's wondering what happened. They bring him in, right? The Pharisees and said, they want to know what happened to you. And he's like, the parents come in, and they're like, parents, you tell us what happened. And they're like, you ask him, he's of age, right? They don't want to deal with it. They're like, I'm out. Not my fight. And he says... This guy, I think his name was Jesus, <laughs> spit, made some mud, shoved it in my eyeballs, sent me to go wash. And they say, well, you tell it, this man's a sinner. We, got, we know he's a sinner. He says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But I do know this, I once was blind and now I see. I love that little spot right there. Hey, I'm not going to answer that question. I don't know, was he a sinner or no? I don't know. I do know one thing, I was blind and now I can see. We understand in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that Satan hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. The devil wants to blind a lost world, but you know what I think he's done? I think he's done a great job of blinding Christians. Making it so they can't see what's going on around them. You want to know why people don't try to buy gold, tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich, or white raiment that they may be clothed that the shame of their nakedness do not appear because they are so blind to the fact that they don't even need them. They think, I don't need anything. I'm all set. Right? Isn't that what he says? 
And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind. You don't even know it. You know, someone who's physically poor and miserable and blind. You know what they know? They know that they're those things. Right? Bartimaeus on the side of the road, begging, crying out to Jesus. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. They try to shut him up. He cried the more, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus calls him down. He gets down in front of him. And Jesus can see that he's blind, but he still asks the stupid question, right? What do you want me to do? Bartimaeus says, that I might receive my sight. Blind man knows he's blind. The devil's got so many Christians fooled that they don't even know that they're blind. They don't see the need for souls. They don't see the need to witness. They don't see what the Bible's trying to tell them. They don't see what God's trying to do in their life. They don't see any effect of what they have. They don't even see how much damage they're doing by the decisions that they're making that are so terribly poor because they have chosen to do things the world's way instead of God's way. They can't see the ramifications of the decisions that they make. They are like small children who look down the road and can't see afar off. They can't see it. As adults, you and I, we look down the road and we try, to, we try to pursue and figure out the dangers that are in front of us. Uriah and Elijah, no idea what dangers are there. They have no clue. Uriah, don't go near that. You're going to get hurt. <laughs> Stop jumping on that. You're going to get hurt. Don't climb on that. You're going to get hurt. Everything is, you're going to get hurt. Stop doing those things. And God looks at you and keeps going, stop doing that, you're going to get hurt. Stop playing with that, you're going to get hurt. And you have no clue because you don't stay with spiritual eyes and instead you keep those physical ones on. And so you know what you do? You go ahead and stop buying gold. You stop, you stop doing that because I don't need any of those things. I've got all these physical things. And they're rooted and grounded in the world. And they're entangled with the affairs of this life. They're wrapped up. And you get wrapped up in the things of this life. And instead of looking around going, how can I get some gold? How can I get some clothes? How can I see what I need to see? How can I go ahead? Instead, it's all, I have everything I need. What else do I need? There's no urgency to win a soul. There's no urgency to learn more about the Bible and about God. There's no urgency to go ahead and try and do more. There's no urgency in going, Lord, what would you have me to do? There's no urgency in trying to get anything. There's no urgency in saying, well, I need to stand and do right and live right and try and choose the right direction. There's no urgency in any of those. Why? Because you can't see it. And we've all been convinced the idea of, well, Jesus is coming back soon, but, you know, we never know when, and it's probably not today. And he's going, no, you need to see. You need to see. You need to get some spiritual vision. You need to see what God's trying to do as opposed to just what you want. God is still working. God is still going forward. He's not done. How do you know that? Because I'm still here and you're still here. We're still breathing. There's still things that we have to be done, but we have to be able to see it. How many times have you gone through and you've gone through a day 
And you get to the, you get just past meeting somebody or talking to somebody or doing something, and you got just past and you went, missed it. <laughs> missed the opportunity. There was an open door right there and I missed it. I didn't witness. I didn't say what I should have said. I didn't do what I should have done. There was, I missed it, right? We've all been there. If you haven't been there, you haven't been saved very long. Uh, we've all been there. And we go, man, I missed it. Say, so what was wrong? No, I said. You weren't, you weren't seeing the spiritual. You were just dealing with the physical. We do it all the time. And he's going, no, no, I counseled thee. Who's got better counsel than God? Church, there's nobody that's going to give you better counsel than the Word of God. And you know what the Word of God told our church in particular, the church to lay it to see the, one, the age that we are stuck in? All right, we're here. You aren't changing that. But what you can do is you can change. You can go, hey, you know what? I don't have to be like the rest of Laodicea. I don't have to live like that. I don't have to end like that. I don't have to have Jesus on the outside of the church knocking, hoping to get in, hoping to deal with me, hoping to deal with anybody. Just somebody open the door and let me in. Instead, you can go, you know what I want? I want gold tried in the fire. I want to live by faith. I want to have my eyes anointed with eye salve so I can see and I can start walking by faith and not by sight. I want to go ahead and get that, those white raiment, that righteousness. I want to do the right thing. I want to keep trying to do right in a day where everybody wants me just to be quiet and just to be silent and just to stand off to the side and just sit there and be quiet and hopefully nobody notices me. No, no, I need to stand up and do some things right. Try and get a little bit of right raiment to get on there. Help me not to show up naked and blind and miserable and absolutely destitute because I was unwilling to heed the counsel of a wonderful God who's just trying to help me out. That's all he's trying to do. God's just trying to help you how to figure out how to live in a day that's so evil and last and stand and having done all to stand at the end. Let's go ahead and do that. Let's stand today. If you're in here... And you're saved, maybe you need to come down and just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I, boy, I keep getting distracted. I keep getting blinded. I keep getting, and I keep trusting in all my stuff instead of, and I just need some help. I just need some help. Forgive me and help me to try a little bit better tomorrow. Help me to try today to do some things a little bit better. Walk by faith and not by sight and Go ahead and trust and get a little gold piled up. Get a little something. Help me not to stand. Boy, I don't want to stand in front of him with nothing. That's what I, I just don't want to stand in front of him with nothing. After he's done so much to save me. If you're in here today without Jesus Christ, you do not know the answer to this question. If you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? If your answer is not heaven, 100% sure, know it. The Bible makes it really plain. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know for sure your sins are forgiven forever. We'd love to open a Bible and show you. If you'd be willing to come forward and get my attention, we'll open a Bible, we'll answer your questions, we'll walk you through some things, and if you have any questions, or you don't have to do anything about it. We're not going to force anybody, but we'd love to answer your questions and show you from the Bible how you can know for sure that your sins are forgiven and you can have salvation forever. If you'd like that, you can come at any time. I'll gladly have someone do that. In the meantime, Christian,
you need to do business with the Lord, please do. Father, we pray you would bless the invitation now. Work in hearts, we love you, and we pray you'd come back soon. In Jesus' name, amen.